Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Well, I'm here with Lily Snyder, who's a VR expert, writer, speaker, former COO of Doghead Simulations and IT consultant, and last but not least, my cousin. Hi, Lily. Hello, cousin Heather. (laughs) Thanks for coming on my podcast. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to doing this with you for a long time. I know. We've been talking about it. I guess, like, who would have ever thought that we would both end up working in IT? I I know, right? It's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it because IT is where it's at. So I'm glad that you're in this space, too. Sure. And I'm super t- excited to talk to you about um, VR because that's not something we kind of ever touch on um, in my space. But I think it's something that people are, you know, starting to get kind of excited about. So, Yeah. I think the best thing is I finally have someone to talk to at family gatherings who understands what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not just like, oh, yeah, that, that, you know, that future thing where you, like, put a headset on and you watch a movie or, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, computers, all right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, oh, once you, once you tell them what you do, most of the time they're like, mm-hmm, okay, cool, no follow-up questions. <laughs> Yeah, then just like the gloss over and then they like go to get a snack. <laughs> yeah. So I think that brings me into my first question, which, um, you know, growing up, I always thought you'd be like a professional horse trainer or something like that. So how did you go um, and end up working in the VR industry in the first place? Yeah, well, we're going way back to my childhood because <laughs> I'm secretly a nerd, too, and uh, fought over playing computer games with my brother on the on our one giant desktop in the library. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from there, so I was just always interested in computers, and but more on the business side, I learned as I went to more school and tried new things that uh, while developing and coding was really cool, it was not my strong suit. So I went into IT consulting where I got to think about more of the business processes and how our software affects um, the businesses, specifically in manufacturing, where I spent a lot of my time. And uh, I got to tell developers then what to build. (laughs) And after doing that for almost six years, I was looking to do something new, and so I was scrolling through LinkedIn one day and saw that an old client of mine posted about um, how to do agile scrum meetings in virtual reality. And I like just immediately thought like, yes, this is what we need because agile scrum, it's a agile is a type of development methodology, and it was originally intended to be for co-located teams. But as you know, the world we live in now, 
uh, especially in IT, it's global. We work with people all over the world. And at the time, I was struggling with uh, getting my teams to communicate with each other and even just with me as the scrum master over traditional like conference calls. You know, I had people in uh, India, Europe, across the U.S., and I thought if we could just meet as if we we're real people, but in virtual reality, then we could still, you know, be wherever our offices are, but it would seem like we're in the same place and it would actually allow us to work as um, how Agile Scrum originally intended with seeing that body language and feedback. So um, just that one one post from my old client just sparked mm-hmm. all, all this imagination in my head and like I wanted to go work for him and that's what led me to actually working with him, Matt Chacon, and becoming a co-founder of that virtual reality startup, Doghead Simulations. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, um, a really cool story. So I, I'm kind of curious what it was like for you co-founding that startup and kind of moving from um, kind of what sounds like a kind of more traditional like IT consultant role to starting a company, basically. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of work. I was um, the last co-founder to join. So there were um, three guys, Matt Chacon, Albert Perez, and Chance Glasgow, who had started on the company, on the product already. And I came in around the eighth week and uh, we went from there. So there was so much I had to learn from just the very very first steps, okay, we have this idea and a prototype, but uh, we have to find customers, we have to define who our target audience is, we have to narrow down what we want this product to be at launch. And even bigger than that was uh, getting to know uh, each other on the team and our working styles because we all lived across the United States too. We started it as a distributed team. But luckily we had the opportunity to get to know each other pretty well when we were invited. Um, this is back in t- 2016. We were invited to pitch at VRVCA, the first one in Beijing, China. So. I saw Matt again for the first time in five years and, and met Matt or uh, Chance and Albert for the first time all in Beijing <laughs> at the airport. Yeah. So, and uh, so while I think remote work is awesome, I've been doing it for a long time, uh, I think it's also good once in a while to meet up in person and can really knock down some ideas and get get some work done. For sure. Did you um, did you have VR meetings as a company? Did you eat your own dog food, kind of, so to speak? Oh yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> we use that joke all the time. All yeah, the time. <laughs> I think that's a big like business IT kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it was it was a huge difference to step into um, a VR meeting because in the past, like we would be like this or you're on Skype and I'm on Skype, but really I'd have, you know, my email open and I'd be, I am in someone else and not really paying attention to what you're asking. (laughs) But, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I say that with love, no, (laughs) but in VR, 
it was like we were we literally were all standing around a whiteboard or a document we're reviewing and i was seeing you know the hand gestures the body language all those subtle cues that we look for in a meeting when we're talking with someone um, that gives us that feedback. Plus, I couldn't go just check my phone or uh, scroll through Instagram because I was literally locked in and engaged in what we were doing. And that was really cool. Yeah, it sounds like kind of one of those things that you need to experience it to really kind of get like why that would like I can I can kind of visualize like why that would be um, maybe more like engaging than a Skype meeting or you, you know, you'd be able basically to see the level of engagement of your coworkers or something like that. But yeah, I think, um, you hit a really good point on the head there that, um, what our team and a lot of people in VR, the biggest problem we struggle with is how to convince people even just to try it in the first place, because unfortunately it is one of those things you don't get until you experience it but once you do um you you can't help but become a believer and want to be in vr more yeah i think that brings me um that's a great point that brings me to something i kind of wanted to look back a little bit on like the journey that vr has sort of taken um because it's kind of like ai right it's like we talk about it today and it's like the super hyped technology and um it sounds very like futuristic and all of that but we have been doing it and using it and it's been around for a while i know um did you ever go to disney quest in chicago uh no i haven't been there it's it's like yeah i I think they closed like a while ago um but like disney had these pop-up like arcade um and they used a lot of like vr there um and i remember going there as a kid and you put this like huge you, there was one ride, I think, specifically where you had this like huge VR helmet that was so heavy that they like suspended it from the ceiling. And then um, you would like fight with this like laser sword or something. I remember it as Star Wars, but it definitely wasn't. I think it's just because of the <laughs> laser sword. Yeah. Um, so like obviously in gaming, we've had, you know, there was like the Nintendo Virtual Boy and there was like mm-hmm. all these kind of like failed experiments um, to um you know, kind of get VR into our into our households. But at a certain point, um, it, it wasn't even, you know, like maybe like um, within the past decade, it, like um, Google Glass came out and, and Oculus and those two kind of things. Google Glass, you know, there's obviously like a bit of backlash about, but um, yeah. especially Oculus, like kind of, I feel like excited people again about the idea of VR and kind of brought this kind of, feeling of like new possibilities there um i guess as like someone with insight into the vr industry do you know kind of what was behind that change and how vr kind of um became relevant again yeah uh so for anyone who's interested in the story and it's a really great story they should read a book it came out recently called the history of the future by blake j harris Um, And he goes into uh, really good detail and good storytelling, um, answering that question, like what happened? It was this cool tech. It's been around for a long time, I think, like since the 1960s. And he even goes back a little further into how uh, people even before then tried experimenting with like 
smellow theaters where you go into a movie theater and the seats move and you get sprayed with stuff in your face mm. and um and like like what happened why did vr phase out um and i think the the biggest reason was that the hardware just uh wasn't wasn't up to giving people the full immersive experience yet but i remember i went to a talk a couple of years ago and a psychologist told her story about how she'd been using virtual reality since the 1980s to help um, her patients and how she used VR to help her patients get over the fear of flying after 9-11. So, I mean, people have definitely been using it and researching it, but um, as Harris describes in his uh, book, The History of the Future, it wasn't until this kid, he's not a kid anymore, but Palmer Lucky came along and was really into VR and modding, and he's uh, who created Oculus and uh, made a team, created a company. Uh, they ended up getting uh, in rooms with the right people and kind of reigniting the VR industry and showing people that it's not dead. Uh, the hardware is um, now up to par. It can do what we want it to do. The software is there and we can make this a real thing now. And so that's um, that story is really good. I, I suggest everyone to go read the book. Um, even if they aren't into VR, it's a real uh good thing to read just about like business and how companies get started and sold it's, covers a lot of topics it's pretty cool <laughs> i have to go check it out yeah it sounds yeah. a lot like um machine learning then you know it's like the technology was there but we didn't have like the computing power right. to really you know make it practical yeah um and I guess off of that, you know, obviously we started with VR in the, in more of like the entertainment realm, um, but now we really talk about it a lot for the enterprise or like business solutions. I guess how did we get there? Yeah, well, I think it's probably been in both enter, uh, entertainment and in the enterprise. I think especially like in the military, mm-hmm. finding ways to use it. And I think a lot in manufacturing and prototyping vehicles. I know uh, Ford has has a whole immersive lab that they've developed and been using for quite a while to prototype cars and new designs before ever actually having to like physically build it mm-hmm. or like physically build all the interfaces. So I think now that. Um, Let's see. I was at Cincinnati Startup Week last October, and I listened to different people talk about how they used VR at work. And so I think there's so many more opportunities because VR is good if you have like specific um, use cases that you want to solve. So, for instance, one of the speakers was a surgeon, and he talked about how he created a VR program using uh, patients' real, like, biometric scans uh, who needed, like, valve replacements or or, um, uh, stints. So he would use their real biometric scans, scans, put that in VR, and then practice his surgeries and see where uh, the valves would fit on that patient. So he would know exactly what he wanted to do and how it fit before he ever went into real surgery. Another 
cool story uh, was, I think it was someone from Procter and Gamble. Don't, uh, but he uh, used augmented reality on the plant floor. So instead of um, an operator, their machine breaks down, they have to go find the manual or go find uh, someone who knows how that machine works. Instead, they can um, put on their augmented reality glasses and that can shows them step by step where to walk, what buttons to press and how to fix their machine having without having to go to maintenance submit a you know ticket find the paper manual um so we're seeing like a lot of cool ways to use vr that aren't just like have a meeting or play a game yeah yeah um yeah that's really cool a lot of the you know when i was researching this a lot of the um you know, manufacturing and those kind of like frontline use cases came up a lot where people um yeah, like you said, would be walking around and, and could see things um, right there instead of having to default to, to paper to like spend time um, looking something up when they might be like troubleshooting in real time. I think when it comes to VR in the enterprise, right, like, or just bringing it more into business in general, um, I think. So I was reading this, let me back up. <laughs> I was reading this Venture B article that said basically that um, for VR to really make it in the enterprise and become you know, more of like a widespread uh, computing method that it needed to go from becoming just something that delivered value. Because obviously, right, a lot of these use cases have um, a lot of inherent value and it's easy to see like why this would be great as like a training tool or, or a meeting tool or um, to like augment your current job. But to go from just being kind of cool to being like really a critical thing that people are using all of the time basically to like get that usage high enough to get that like critical threshold um, where employ where companies would adopt it kind of in mass. I guess what's your take on that um, going from like how, how, how can VR go from being just kind of valuable and cool to being more of like a critical business tool? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that question may be like as hard to answer as you might think because it's really like any piece of technology. Why should the enterprise adopt an ERP system or uh, in, in the plant? Why should they upgrade to a manufacturing system? Um, it's really we about uh, educating our customers, letting them know what the options are and showing them the data and the real KPIs um, that they can get from using this tech. So when I was an IT consultant and we would go into some of these plants that some of the people in the plant knew that they needed to upgrade to a system or upgrade their systems, but not everyone was convinced. They thought their uh, paper manual paper process worked just fine. But once we went in and we talked through them about how their manual process worked, uh, how the software would totally change what their manual process is for the better, allowing them, allowing the operators to work on what they actually liked working on instead of following all these manual steps. 
and showing all the data and feedback that a system could provide, then they were slowly brought on board. And then mm -hmm. once you upgrade, of course, they didn't want to go back because the software was so much better than their manual process. So I think VR is probably similar that uh, we're still figuring out uh, what what specific use cases are going to work the best and which companies are ready to adopt those. And that's okay. But once we do, I think people will get into that mindset of thinking because VR is different than a traditional 2D screen where we're used to seeing data in a certain way and used to user interface being a certain way. Suddenly everything's 3D. You can have three-dimensional objects. You can manipulate it with your hands. It's, it's a whole new way of thinking. And I think that adjustment will probably take some time. Yeah, and I think another one of those things is that um, I know we both have uh, we both listen to the podcast Rocket and something that they bring up when that whenever they talk about VR, they always talk VR. They always talk about how there's kind of this lack of like really great apps um, to kind of show like how to make VR go from just like usually they talk about it in gaming, but it's just like go from being kind of cool to being like really great and something where like I couldn't have this experience if I wasn't in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, another one of the topics that Harris addresses in his book, the History of the Future. Sorry if I'm name dropping too much. <laughs> kind of, I heard him talk the other, I'm, I virtually met him in VR and uh, some a little bit fanning out. <laughs> but that that's definitely one of the topics he addresses in the book that um, you build, so game developers can you know, fairly easily develop for virtual reality because they have the knowledge of um, built, already building on gaming engines, uh, Unreal and Unity. But it's kind of, he described it as a chicken and egg sort of thing, how we have new headsets, but they're not going to sell if they don't have content, but developers need to make a living, so they're not going to put a bunch of time in developing content for something for a headset that hasn't reached a wide enough audience. But in the enterprise, we can, enterprises can afford to pay for that content and pay for those apps that will drive value into their business. Um, whether it be training, um, I, I saw one company at, at Cincinnati Startup Week, one of their training examples was uh, uh, showing um, someone who goes into a sewer to test the oxygen levels and then um, and then uh, pull out the poisonous gas in the sewer so that they could go repair a pipe. And I mean, how great is that? You're taking a really dangerous situation that how would you really train for that unless you're like actually in it? Well, now you can. And since VR is cool because what we um, studies have shown that what we do in virtual reality is locked into our mind more than watching a video on a screen or listening to a lecture because we're actually doing those motions. So I think that's 
pretty neat. Yeah, it is really cool. I know Walmart is one of the the enterprises that is really um, kind of geared up their VR adoption, and they have them for like I think in all of their stores they have headsets for employee training for like they do it for like customer service for new technology for um, like teaching them compliance and they've seen all these benefits and just people being able to learn things easier Um, and like with the dangerous job thing too it kind of made me think of like astronaut training you know we've had these like where I mean that's kind of like an extreme example right but like you know they've been using that for a long time to kind of train obviously for these situations where you're not going to be able to experience it until you're there Um, so being able to like have that more hands-on kind of experience in while also being safe is a really cool possibility for sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, as people, as we start seeing, um, these headsets come out and that they're more viable and they're more easy to use that. And we, we have more people who are bought into VR and that can actually do things. We'll see people developing um, more specific enterprise apps. And I think those will sell, do well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know another example of someone who's like a little bit closer to uh, Lakeside Space um, Splunk, I don't know if you are you have you heard of them before? Did they come up in your IT consulting days? They they sound familiar. Yeah, yeah they're like this big data analytics vendor. Um, they do some like machine learning stuff, but most of their stuff is like how to um, filter through big data essentially. And um, they, I don't know how like uh, uh, far along they are in these plans, but they have some plans to develop. AR for monitoring server racks. So basically, you know, you'd go around with your um, your phone or your tablet and you'd scan a QR code on the server. Um, I mean, you'd be able to bring up like CPU, RAM, uh, the temperature, the last time it was um, service, that kind of thing while you're like walking around the data center. Um, so that's just kind of another cool potential use case that's just kind of augmenting what you can already do on the desktop, I guess. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, why not? Why not bring that data out or those notifications out in front of us instead of like having to walk like to each individual server and like I don't know plug our computer in or manually go in and check mm-hmm. it? You could just have you know the notifications pop up in the air like, oh, this one needs maintenance or this one is having issues yeah or you'd like you know you'd find the one that was problematic on your desktop and then you wouldn't have to like you know you could see the metrics while you're over there by where you're actually servicing it um yeah yeah that's pretty cool i guess something we've talked a little bit we've mentioned ar a few times and vr um i think it might be helpful to go over just kind of how those things are different and there's also mixed reality like how how um, defined are these categories and how do you differentiate them? Definitely. Great question. So virtual reality uh, is the easiest one, I think, to define. It's where you're stepping into a totally virtual world and you're completely immersed in it. So uh, physics, what you see, uh, what you're hands are, like everything, it could be anything because you're inside the computer. Um, Augmented reality, here's another uh, good book 
if anyone's interested in augmented reality, they should read uh, Augmented Human by Helen Papaginis. And she goes into um, all the different things that AR could be. So traditionally people say, well, AR is um, something virtual, like overlaid on top of your of your real world. But it could be even more than that, like uh, sensors on your body, uh, augmented smell, anything that uh, changes the way you perceive your real physical surroundings um, through technology. So right now uh, we think of it like, uh, oh, I see a Pokemon in my driveway. Mm, yeah, Pokemon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, really we just have screens to interact with AR. But as the technology improves, um, sh there were examples of people working on making like malleable uh, screens and so that like it feels like your f fingertips are going like through the screen um, so that you'll be able to have different uh, touch senses. Um, again, you'll be maybe even be able to pull something like out of your screen into your hand. Uh, so it can really, really be anything. So I suggest reading Augmented Human because that's another really good book and an eye-opener to even more uh, use cases for um, this immersive technology than what you may just be seeing on the App Store right now. Did she explain in the book, like, how augmented smell would work? Yeah. Um, basically, through, like, little devices you would wear, like, on your face <laughs> or if you were um, walking, like, th through a store, um, it'd be like something more subtle than like someone's spraying perfume right in your face because <laughs> <laughs> that's like real life smell of vision right yeah, yeah it is um i i met someone once who is working on a, a vr game where you got to meet chewbacca and he like found a chewbacca scent like he had it in a jar and he's like i'm gonna like have this spray when you meet chewbacca and he's like you have to smell it and i was like he was so proud of the nasty chewbacca smell that he created or found but it's like this is horrible please don't put this in my game <laughs> <laughs> yeah those things that would want it to be like fda approved or something you know like, who knows what people are concocting yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. We won't have to worry about like dizziness making you sick. It'll just be like smell making you sick as you experience something. Yeah, that is kind of um, cool though. Bringing the other senses into it, I guess, because something I've thought about too with um, VR is that it's so visual. So if you have like visual impairment, you you might not be you know you can't experience that. But if you have those other senses at the same time, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and then mixed reality is so. I've I've heard it described a different way, uh, different ways. But Microsoft defines um, AR as one side of the spectrum, and VR as the other side of the spectrum. And mixed reality could be anything in between. Um, so any different, like if we think of our world as layers, like at any time, some of it could be virtual and some of it could be um, like our real reality. 
like maybe we're in our living room and our couch looks like really fuzzy but when we touch it it still feels like our couch or you know any any kind of in between is what mixed reality is yeah i watched some of their like hololens stuff they seem to be like the leader in this area right yes yeah Yeah, um, the branded windows mixed reality yeah it made me think of like um fahrenheit 451 like the room with all the screens where it, you know, like it, with the people, it makes it, yeah. Yeah. It's a, there's like, it's a, sometimes some of this stuff kind of does bleed into like dystopia or like dystopic fiction, like things we've explored before. Mm-hmm. Uh, fiction. Yeah. I mean, that's something we really have to think about, um, especially like for an IT department, like how do you, um, provide like security on these systems mm-hmm. uh, especially like uh stand now that headsets are becoming standalone that they don't all require a pc to run them like uh there's how do you prevent like your data your enterprise data from being hacked um can you install vpns on your headsets or how do you um you know, how do you support someone who's having a glitch in their headset? Are you able to like remote into someone else's virtual metaverse and like customer service their problem? Mm-hmm. I think I think um, these are some questions that I'm not sure have been addressed yet as we're uh, focusing on the great benefits that VR can provide. Um, so that's that's a consideration I think we'll have to think about. Yeah, it definitely does sound like a bit of a management challenge. Um, I mean, even just like from a perspective of like keeping employees like physically safe when they're in VR, you know, making sure that like whatever, there's like some training area where people aren't going to hit something or accidentally like walk into a wall or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Make sure you have the straps on your hands so you Mm -hmm. don't just like fling your fling your controller and break someone's like <laughs> computer monitor right i mean it's not cheap technology either you know it's definitely oh. something that needs to be uh, managed a little bit yeah. um yeah i know microsoft has you know they have like all of the um you know you can bring it into azure ad and they have like different it works with different um like kind of mobile management platforms that they support. Um, I'm sure all of the enterprise kind of grade ones have some of those features. Mm-hmm. Um, not super well versed, but I'm sure it'll be something that um, once we kind of identify, because I think right now we're at the point where, um, you know, maybe like Walmart and, and people who have been kind of implementing it for a while now know like what the big problems are when it comes to VR performance. Um, and obviously you'll have some of like the, you know, I can imagine like latency being a big thing, right, for a VR experience. I guess, um, you know, that's a good question to kind of turn over to you. I'm sure you spent a lot of time wearing your fair share of VR headsets. Like what would you say makes a good user experience with VR? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first as Let's see. Good experiences are definitely ones where you where every they have low latency, and some of that has been addressed in 
the hardware. So I don't think that's as big of a um, problem these days, unless like your hardware gets, or unless your device gets like bogged down with malware or something. Um, but I, let's see. Um, I would say, yeah. <laughs> so latency factors uh, in VR, I wouldn't suggest having like a lot of text that um, users have to read because mm-hmm. we're still uh, the resolution isn't there yet for making text legible to be legible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of more like interactive or like point and click directions instead of read this and now do it. Um, don't have something that involves a lot of typing because we're still working on how to have keep virtual keyboards the best way to type in VR and um, just testing and you're tracking to make sure you don't like lose your hands because it's pretty disorienting if you're trying to do something and one of your hands just like floats away and you can't do what you're working on anymore but, so those are some of the, and then this this is an interesting question because I was on a panel a couple of years ago talking about um, different things to think about in VR, and I remember um, my husband, who's left-handed, was trying to um, draw in in a VR app, and of course he's trying to do it with his left hand, but that program wasn't only designed to draw with the right hand; <laughs> it wasn't designed to draw with the left hand. And so, like, thinking, taking all those considerations in place, too, about, like, who's using your product? What kind of disabilities might they have? Or uh, you have to think even more in developing your user personas on um, how might someone else use this that you're that could be different from the way you're thinking about using it. Yeah, the left-handed thing sounds like a pretty basic one that someone would be like at some point. You think, oh yeah, we shouldn't forget yeah. about those lefties. But yeah, but I mean, I guess if you are right-handed and you only ever work with right-handed people, then it could mm-hmm. slip under the rug. Yeah, maybe we need like pre-VR development VR training where you're like being somebody <laughs> else and you get to like experience. So know. yeah, you could just, here now you're totally different person but mm-hmm. um yeah those those are some experiences so i um asked on twitter the other day what people what apps people are using and um one that came up was called becoming homeless where you are a person who you just lost your job and you became uh, evicted from your apartment and what's it like like living uh on the street and how to um navigate that. I was like, oh, that's really interesting because, you know, hopefully none of us, you know, knock on wood, have to actually experience that, but can drive you to think, think more what that's like. Um, or another, um, uh, oh, another use case for VR I see a lot in uh, as art exhibits because um, you can obviously paint and create art and VR. So I've seen, I experienced one at the um, art museum here in Nashville of someone who created their childhood home, but it was all disjointed because she just had disjointed memories. Mm. And so that was neat. And I've heard of another one, someone who wanted to explore why the different like 
tribes and factions in Africa like fight each other. And so in his VR experience, you are like the different person from each tribe and you like talk to other people from the different tribes and you learn like, oh, we're maybe we're not so different and maybe we can like learn to work together, get get along. So yeah, that like empathy training thing kind of makes me think that there might be some like HR uses for this technology. Like even when you mentioned, um, you know, that uh, psychiatrist in the 80s or whatever who was using it on her patients um, to like bring them out of that headspace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think empathy, uh, a lot of people call VR an empathy machine mm. because the way you can affect um, people's emotions and what they're feeling by controlling what they're experiencing, since you're totally immersed in whatever that is once you put the headset on. Yeah, that's cool. I could see that being like, it's it sound, it's like a pretty powerful thing when you think about it. Um, so with great power comes great responsibility um, in, in terms exactly. of how you use that technology. I know, did you see the um, the Burger King app that they were using for AR with AR? Oh no, I missed that, I bet. So this, this, this I think is like mm, a little questionable, but um, they had this app where you could train it. You know, I'm sure, you know, who knows what they're using this data for on the back end, but they have this app where a customer could train it on a competitor ad, so you'd see like, a McDonald's billboard or something, and then um, it would make it look on fire, like use AR to make it look like it was burning. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, that's that's pretty funny. And then you get some, like, coupon or something for doing that, so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's definitely some uh, ethical questions that we'll have to address, Um because so much, because a headset has like all these sensors and cameras built into it. It can um, map your surroundings. It can see what you see on the outside. It can track your eye movements. It can, um, so it's recording, can record, has the potential to store all this like biometric data about yourself, um, about where you're using it. And I think um, those are some interesting questions as to how privacy in VR, not just what we're clicking on and what games we're downloading, but how we're actually moving around in it, uh, what happens with that data, and do we trust uh, all headset manufacturers with that? <laughs> <laughs> no one shall be named, but um, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's... I mean, because I've thought about that, you know, I have an Apple Watch and I've thought about that even there. Like, you know, I'm sure I don't know exactly how my data could be being used. Um, mm -hmm. But that's kind of like that amplified times a million, you know? Yeah. So yeah. food for thought. Yeah. Just put, putting that out there. Maybe we'll inspire one of your listeners to create create a new company like privacy VR. <laughs> <laughs> VR ethics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like a little bit of like a wild west right now. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is, but it's exciting. It's an exciting wild west. Like over the past couple of weeks, I have 
one of the people I follow on Twitter, I've watched him come up with an idea for an AR app and his idea go from like a prototype to just today he released it on the app store and the Google Play store. And so now I was able to go download his app and like use it. And like, how cool is that? Where else do you get to go uh, watch something from idea to creation to actually be able to, to use it like that? And uh, the app is called a Doodle Lens. And so it captures, if you draw a little doodle, it captures that doodle and then you can like place it anywhere in your real world. And it's like fun. Yeah, that sounds cute. Yeah. So it's a good good industry to be in for anyone who has an out-of-the-box idea. Like, that, this is the place to be to do something with it. Like, yeah, there are still questions, and we're not sure how everything's going to turn out. But now's the time to at least give it a try because everyone's open to it, and why not? Well, I think that's kind of a great note to sort of wrap up on. Um, but before we go, how can people find you online? Yep. Um, my website is liliotron.blog, or I'm on Twitter at liliotron. So. All right. Well, thanks so much, Lily, for coming on. It was great talking to you. You too. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.